I want you to join me in James chapter 1. James chapter number 1. I've shared with you before, many of you, if not all of you, will remember or know that woodworking is something that I enjoy. I'll be honest with you, now that I've started school and we continue to grow our family and full-time pastoring and all that, woodworking has kind of, I don't even know if it's on the back burner. It's probably just fallen off the stove altogether. But it is something that I enjoy. I love taking just a pile of lumber and whether I'm following a plan or going off script just to take that rough lumber to cut and to sand and to angle and put together and make something out of it. At times, when you're doing a project, things don't go plan. Now, whether you do woodworking or not, can you relate to that? That sometimes when you're doing whatever it is that you do, maybe it's something related to your employment. I know some of you garden. Maybe it's related to gardening, uh, hunting, or fishing. Anything like that. Sometimes it doesn't go according to plan. And then you've got to take two steps back to go a step forward, or one step back to go a step forward, or whatever it may be. And you just have to work with it, work through it to try to get to the accomplished purpose. Even when I'm doing woodworking, it can be difficult as I'm going along to see the finished product. I might be following a plan, and I come across a step, and it tells me to attach this to that, or to do this, that, and the other, and I go, how in the world? Does that figure into what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to get to this end product, a table or a bed or whatever it may be. How in the world does this step get me toward that finished product? It, it may not make sense immediately to my reasoning. And even at the beginning, it can be difficult to see. This pile of lumber, how is this going to become that? Do you know that in some ways this relates to things we experience in life? Our lives are a series of steps designed to work toward a finished and successful product. God is the designer. Christ's likeness is the design. Listen to a couple of verses that bring that truth to our attention in the New Testament. Philippians 1 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Very simply, that gives us that understanding that our lives are a series of steps designed to fulfill God's purpose, a finished and successful product. From the day that you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
until the day you stand with him in glory, God is working on you. God is working in your life. God is working for you, in you, through you, to bring you to that place of finished. What does that look like? Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He's working in you to bring you to the place of Christ-likeness. Now, we can agree to those things, I, I would imagine. If you know Christ, you, you've been around the Word of God, you've been around teaching and preaching, I think you can agree with those statements, with those verses. What God is doing, the end goal that He has in mind. But here's the problem. Sometimes there are some steps that God uses to accomplish the task we find difficult to understand and accept. Much like when you're going through whatever it is and it doesn't quite go according to plan, or you might be following a, a recipe as you're cooking something. You, you might be following that step, putting together a piece of furniture or woodworking from scratch you, you might be gardening and following some instructions about how to plant and how to cultivate this this plant this flower and you think that doesn't make sense i don't see how that gets me from where i am to where i want to go and there are times in your life and mine where God uses some steps to accomplish the task that we find difficult to understand and accept. When we experience these steps, what the Bible calls trial, we struggle to come to terms with them. Now at this point, some clarification is always needed. I, I like to make this clarification when we and thinking about, talking about trials. Catch this statement. God will use all of your experiences to work toward the finished and successful product He has designed you to be. But that does not mean that God is the direct or active cause of all your experiences. God will use any and every experience of your life to fulfill his good work and his purpose in you. But that does not mean that God is the direct or active agent in everything that you experience in life. Pastor, what do you mean by that? It would be foolish, ignorant of me, if I were to stand up and say, friends, God, God is the direct and active cause in everything you experience in life so that he can bring you to the fulfillment of his purpose. Because there are things that you and or I have experienced in life 
that while we could say that yes, God did not step in and intervene and stop it, he allowed, but he wasn't the direct or active agent in it. If you've experienced a hurt at the hands of another person, it might be something as simple, and it's, it's wrong to say it that way because it's not simple, it's not, it's not light to you, but in comparison to some other things you might experience, it could be considered simple. It, it might have been a hurtful word. Someone said to you. It impacted you. It would be wrong, ignorant, and foolish of me to say that God was the direct cause of that because he wants to accomplish something in you. That would be foolish. It might be something as serious as an abuse of some kind. Some of you here in this auditorium, perhaps, watching or listening online, have been recipients of physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. It would be foolish and ignorant. It would be wrong of me to stand up here tonight and to say to you, well, God was active in that. God was the cause, the agent of that, because he wants to do something good in your life. That would be foolish. Yes, I do have to come to terms with the reality that God did not step in and intervene. But it would be wrong to say that God was the direct cause or agent of it. And yet it is true that God can use those things in your life and mine to bring about his purpose. It's not my purpose within the scope of this message to treat that particular issue exhaustively, but you need to understand it. He can use all things, but that does not mean he's the direct cause or agent of all things that you experience and go through. So bring your attention, if you will, to James chapter 1. James, the half-brother of Jesus an early leader of the church at Jerusalem, wrote to believers scattered throughout the Roman Empire to encourage them about trials. It's been said that, that James's purpose throughout the entire book was to encourage and exhort Christians to maturity in Christ. If that is so, how interesting it is that it He's seeking to encourage us to maturity that he begins with this issue of trials. You see, coming to maturity in Christ, growing to the extent that God desires you to, requires that you and I come to terms with trials that we experience in life. And look at what James writes about them in the first 12 verses of James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, 
that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways." Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. In our text, James shows us that triumphing through trials takes place as we adopt and develop four qualities. That's what I want you to see in the text this evening. So number one, would you know, if we are going to triumph through trials, we need to adopt and develop a spirit. We need to adopt and develop a joyful spirit. In connection with this command found in verse number two, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, and he continues. In connection with this command, several characteristics of trials come to James's mind, and he brings them to the surface. First of all, would you notice this? Trials are not considered a possibility or even a probability, but an inevitability. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? James does not say, my brethren, count it all joy if ye fall into divers temptations. What does he say? When. James does not come at this from the perspective of, well, some of you may, some of you may not. He, he doesn't even treat it as, well, you might experience one trial in life, and some of you might experience many, and, and others of you won't experience anything at all. James comes at it from, it's not just possible, it's not probable, it's inevitable. You will face trials. Not even just one, but many trials. It's inevitable. And so, friends, if we want to reach a place of Christian maturity, we have to come to terms with the reality that trials are going to be a part of our life. Not only that, as he speaks of these trials, the word he uses identifies the reality that these are difficulties that are encountered, not created, or caused. In other words, the trials specifically that James has in his mind are things that I've not created the problem. I've not caused the problem. It's something that I've encountered in life. 
when Michael was just a little over a year and a half old, we were over at my parents' in Rocky Mount, and he was walking through the backyard. And as just being over a year and a half, he'd not been walking for very long at that point. And he's walking through the backyard, and he happened to step in a hole. And it caused him to lose his balance and stumble. And of course, as a, as a child of a year and a half, that, that really brought out the tears and, and the sadness. I can tell you for sure that Michael, as about a year and a half old boy, did not go into my mom and dad's yard beforehand and dig that hole that then he fell into. He didn't go into the backyard ahead of time and and sit down on the ground using his hand, just pulling up grass and dirt, and then trip into the hole he made. No, that hole was either natural or someone else or something else dug it, and he happened to be the one to step into it and stumble. And that's the way sometimes trials are in your life. It's not that you've dug yourself a hole. It's not that you've created a problem for yourself. Sometimes you and I bump up against difficulties in life, that have nothing to do with us whatsoever. Those are the trials that James has in mind. In fact, throughout his letter, he identifies some of those trials. We'll not read all the verses, but these could be things such as being dragged into court, James 2, verse 6. Lacking material resources, James 2, 15. Suffering from verbal abuse, James 3, 9, and 10, as well as 4, 11. Being the victims of divisiveness and quarreling, chapter 4, verse 1. Structural economic injustices, chapter 5, verses 4, 6. Sicknesses, chapter 5, verse 14. Or any general kind of trouble in life, chapter 5, verse 13. There are many types of Trials that you and I can experience have nothing to do with us. We've not caused it, we've not created it, and yet we experience the challenges of it. Divers' temptations identifies trials of all kinds. And friends, should you think that being a believer insulates you? The New Testament actually paints a different picture. You and I can experience the difficulties that humanity in general experiences, but then the Bible in several places, here in James, in 1 Peter, Jesus speaking to his disciples, John chapter 16, identifies that there are trials, there are sufferings that you can experience simply because you're a Christian. They're specific believers and believers alone. Our challenge from James, even as you think about that, I, I told you this morning, it's true again tonight, Pastor, I come to church to be encouraged. Even as James says, hey, trials are going to happen, they're inevitable. Oh, by the way, I'm not telling you you're going to face one trial in life and then it's going to be over. No, you're going to face many trials of all different sorts. And it might not be something you caused or created. It, it might be something completely outside of you, apart from you, and yet it's going to affect you. You can't do anything about it. You can't insulate yourself from it. Oh, but by the way, 
as you experience those things, count it all joy. The challenge from James is to settle in our hearts to be joyful even through trials. That word count in James chapter 1 verse 2 has the notion of making a deliberate, conscious, and rational choice. Well, sure, I'll decide to be joyful because I, I'm not going to think about it. No, he says think about it, consider it, ponder on it, and make that choice. The Greek word uh, order emphasizes the words joy and trials. It's not intuitive to us that joy or that trials should cause joy. So James challenges us to make a conscious, deliberate effort to set aside the natural inclinations when we face trials of fear, of discouragement, and anger, and choose to be joyful in the midst of trials. And the question is, how? How can you do that? There are three more qualities that James is going to give us, and they build to answer this question of how we can count it all joy. But let me also point out that joy is a response to your walk with God. Is not joy listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Friends, this type of joy doesn't come just because I decide to, to pull up my bootstraps and to stand with my chest out as I come against a trial. It doesn't just happen by your sheer effort alone. This type of joy is a response to your walk with God. Just earlier this week as I was spending time in the Word God brought my attention to Psalm 1611, where the psalmist penned, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At the right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Can I tell you that joy doesn't come natural to me? I'm not the type of person that wakes up, whether it's an alarm that I've got set on my phone or whether it's, you know, one of my children acting as an alarm clock or just net normal things of life. I'm not the type of person who typically awakes with a joyful disposition. If I were being honest with you tonight, I'd say that my natural disposition tends more toward anger. And to be honest, I struggle with something that I would guess many of us and that is looking for joy in the what. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Looking for joy in the what? What do you mean by that? I, I mean we look for joy in the circumstances, what is going on in life. Well, if this is true, I can be joyful. I, I can be joyful if I'm experiencing this, that, or the other. I can be joyful if I'm with these people. I, I can be joyful if I'm here or there, the other place. We tend to look for joy in the what. But friends, can I share with you this evening that joy will not be found in the what? Joy is not about the what. Joy is about the who. Did you hear what the psalmist said? In Thy presence is fullness of joy. 
James is going to help us as he gives us these other qualities to be able to count it all joy in trials. But let's start right here. Joy is a response to your walk with God. If you're walking with God, if you're living in his presence, that is where joy is going to be found. In the who, not the what. But let's see a second quality we need to adopt and develop. Not only a joyful spirit, we'll spend less time on these last three, but we need to adopt and develop an understanding mind. In verses 3 and 12 of our text, James wants us to understand that there is an unexpected blessing produced in trials for the present and the future. That's not what, what we tend to focus on, though, is it? When you're going through trials, you don't tend to think about there is a blessing in this. And it's not just a blessing someday. There's a blessing for right now and a blessing for later. Notice how he addresses it, verse number 3. He says this, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Trials produce something good. Now, don't, don't mistake what I'm saying. I did not say trials are good. You do experience some bad things in life, as do I. Trials produce something good. The Bible tells us that during trials, our faith is tested. Trials have the, the product on our faith of producing more value. The testing of our faith produces faith that is more valuable, having added endurance. endurance. That's what he means when he says our faith, the trying of our faith worketh patience. When you go through trials of life as a believer in Jesus Christ, those trials work to produce more endurance in you and your walk with God. But not only that, in verse number 12, he tells us there's a blessing for the future. He says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. The Bible tells us that there is a reward. There is a blessing from God for those who consistently, characteristically, endure through trials. And so James helps us to understand that maintaining a joyful attitude or disposition is helped by having an understanding mind that God uses trials to produce something in us that is of value. And again, please remember that does not mean that God is the direct or active cause in everything you go through, but he can use everything you go through to fulfill his purpose, to grow you. Number three. We need to adopt and develop a surrendered will. Verse number four again, but let patience have her perfect work. Let patience have her perfect work. When you think of someone saying, 
let it happen. Let that person do whatever. Let go of what you're holding on to. That means that you're making a decision of your own will to let go, to let somebody else do whatever. You're laying down your will, what you might naturally be inclined to do. And what James is encouraging us when he says, let patience have her perfect work, he is telling us that we need to surrender our will. Experiencing the productiveness of trials is accomplished as I choose to yield to the Lord and cooperate. I believe what James does in verses 9 through 11 is he presents a practical illustration of the leveling of our identity in Christ and trials. Would you notice here he, he puts the poor against the rich? He speaks of the poor as being exalted, the rich as being lowered. Why is that? All of us, poor, rich alike, experience trials. All of us do. In some way, uh, James says, for the poor, it lifts him up. It, as God fulfills his purpose to make that person more like Jesus in that spiritual way, it lifts him up for the rich. It, it may do a, a humbling work. In either case, rich, poor alike have to surrender the will. What, what James is encouraging us to do is to cooperate with God in the work. Let the work happen. Let God do what he is doing. Respond in obedience to him. Think about this. Along with endurance, the trying of your faith produces spiritual maturity. Again, James deals with spiritual maturity all through this letter. And, and it begins with this right understanding of, this right response to the trials of our life. If we're going to experience that work of God to mature and grow us as we experience trials, we must respond to him properly. We must yield to him in it. To be perfect means to be complete and entire. To complete in all its parts. Think about this. One can mature and yet still have room for growth. I want you to see how Paul talks about it. He identifies it of himself in Philippians three thirteen through 15. Notice what he says. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. I've not arrived. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind... In reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then notice what he says. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect. Now wait a minute, Paul. In verse 13, you said you haven't arrived yet. Now in verse 15, you're lumping yourself in with others who are perfect. What in the world, Paul? Are you of two minds? Which is it? Here's what Paul is saying. 
from his perspective, to the best of his knowledge, he was spiritually mature. And yet there was still growth needed. James tells us that you can be in that place. You can be spiritually mature and still need more growth. And often that growth happens as God fulfills his purpose in and through trials. What do I do? Surrender your will. Yield to God. Cooperate with him in the work. You and I can count it all joy because we realize that our face testing brings us to the place of being all that God wants us to be. God uses those things to accomplish that. And then number four, notice this. We need to adopt and develop a believing heart. James has a lot to say in chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Very familiar, probably the most familiar portion of this passage to you. But all through, as James talks to us about, if you lack wisdom, ask God. But don't ask with an unbelieving heart, ask in faith. Because if you don't believe, you're like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind, tossed, you're double-minded and unstable. What is James trying to drive home? I want you to see a couple of thoughts here. Wisdom, first of all, is active. It's not passive. Wisdom is knowledge put into action. As one teacher put it, wisdom is skill for living. Wisdom is not primarily knowledge, but godly behavior in difficult situations. So understand tonight. When James says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God... James is not telling us to seek God for something that's passive, but something that's active. Wisdom is about doing. It's not just about receiving or having or knowing. Really, what James is talking to us about here is knowing what to do in situations where we may not know. God, give us the wisdom to do what you desire us to do, even if, if we don't know. God, give us that understanding to do obediently, even when we're in a situation where we're not sure which direction to go. The question that we often ask when we experience a trial is why, and that's the wisdom we want, isn't it? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? By the way, in case... You're not sure. I don't believe that it's wrong to ask God why. Pastor, how can you say that? Let me quote someone. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So don't walk away and go, oh, pastor said it's wrong to ask God why. No, Jesus did. If Jesus did and he was sinless, I, I believe we can do so sinlessly. But, but, but James is not talking to us about asking a why to get an answer. Why? James is telling us the question that we should ask is how or what? God, how do you want me to react in this situation? God, how do you want me to move forward here? 
God, what do you want me to learn through this? How do you want me to grow through this? What do you want to add to my faith as I go through this? But as we do so, James wants us to put our faith in God. Have you ever had that situation in life where your confidence is shaken? Where you begin to struggle, perhaps, with doubts? James calls us back to a place, even as you go through trials, have a believing heart. I love the way the psalmist said it in Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14, when he said this, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We can put into action the knowledge we receive from God as we trust him to do what he says he will do. How can we triumph through trials? Adopt and develop a joyful spirit. Secondly, adopt and develop an understanding mind. Adopt and develop a surrendered will. Adopt and develop a believing heart. You will face trials, it's inevitable. When you do, understand that God wants you to triumph through them. And you can. 